Hey there, welcome to the Dressage with Amelia podcast, where it's all about breaking things down and helping you learn to love your ride. I'm your host, Amelia Newcomb. These sessions are recordings from my Facebook Live, where I answer as many questions as I can from my audience. I hope you enjoy this episode where I answer your questions about dressage. Please help me out and share this with a friend who also rides horses. Eight. We are officially what we? What we? seven what minutes we? late. Okay, I am late. I will take full responsibility, but the reason I'm late is that I was being a good girl and getting my teeth cleaned. Can you see? They're very clean now. I'll go. He has to go next. <laughs> so anyways, happy Thursday. We have several good questions. We have some really good questions to answer. Um, and what else is new? What's new with you? Uh, I've got family coming to visit. Yes. Where's your family coming from? Mar del Plata, Argentina. Argentina. Yes. Yes. That would be fun. Picking that. them up at five o'clock in the morning. Bright and early. Right. Well, it'll be early. I don't know about how bright the time changes. The days are getting shorter. Having a significant impact on my productivity. It is fall and I definitely feel it because I wake up every morning at five and it's like in the summer, it's not so bad because it's already starting to get light out. But now yeah, it's, it's like, and now it's like, I want to stay in bed and I want to go to bed even earlier. Yeah. The sun has gone down. Yeah. About eight o'clock or seven 30. It's like, can we go to bed yet? And so the sun's down. And next Anyways. month with the time change, then it'll be really early and I'll be trying to go to bed. Okay. First and foremost, I wanted to talk a little bit about my mission with what I'm doing and the online courses and all of the videos that I put out. And I've heard you say it before, but or you've probably heard me say it before, that my mission is dressage for all. And what does that mean? That really means that dressage is for all horses, all breeds, all ages of horses, but also for all people. So regardless of your age or where you are in the world or your aspirations, whether you, you know, just want to enjoy your horse or you want to go out and compete and move up the levels, we are here to help you. And that is really, really important to me. What does dressage for all mean to you? It isn't about showing or not showing or showing your gig. That's great. But you know, dressage is really the, the foundation for all riding. And even if yeah. you're just pleasure riding, it's great if your horse is on the aids and with you and connected. And so it's benefit to everyone. Yeah. It's a benefit to any discipline to do a little bit of dressage. And I'm like on a mission. I'm like, we have to make our sport more popular, more fun. We need more people knowing about it and learning about it because it's just, it's so important. And I also think in a bigger scale of things that horses and riding is what keeps us going and gives us purpose in life. And I also believe that horses make you a better person because your horse is your mirror. Yes. And what you can't, your horse will put a spotlight on it. That is for sure. Yeah. So anyways, that is my mission. And I love 
producing the content. I love helping you with your horse. I love meeting people that I've never met before. And they're like, you have helped me so much. And they feel like they know me just through the online stuff. And that's really special. What I ask of you is that you help me with my mission of dressage for all. And the way that you can help me is by sharing. So sharing the videos, tagging your friends on Facebook, inviting your friends to Amelia's Dressage Club. If you're listening to this on a podcast, because we always make these into podcasts, so our podcast is Dressage with Amelia. You can download it onto your phone. You can share that with your friends. And yeah, that's really the best way to help me with my mission. If my videos have helped you in any way, that is a great way to give back and help us with our mission. So it is very satisfying to see the, yeah. the transformations that happen. I mean, that's just incredible for me anyway. Yeah. So. It's amazing that the videos work. We had a, a client. Well, she, she rode with her mom like three years ago and she's now at a different trainer and she came to the barn today and she was like, I watch all of your videos and they are so helpful. And I think that the videos and the online stuff is a different way of learning. Even if you are lucky enough to have a trainer, it gives it certainly makes you more responsible, I think, because yeah. no one is doing the thinking for you. And and you when you have to learn it online and it's just you and your horse, uh, you end up actually being a bit more responsible for the whole process because you're not, oh, what do I do now? Oh, what do I do now? Yeah. So let us know in the chat, if you ride with a trainer, how many days a week you have lessons, or if you don't have a trainer, I'm curious to see what is there. But I think even if you do have a trainer, because the client at the barn today, she has a trainer, but sometimes watching it when you're not on the horse can really help. Because like, if you're in a lesson and your trainer's telling you, ride a leg yield, ride a leg yield, ride a leg yield, and you're just so like, oh my gosh, you know, there's the horses galloping in the pasture next door. My, my horse is tense. It's hard to process information. But if you can go home that night and sit at your computer and watch me explain how to ride a leg yield, it cements that information in your head so that the next day when you're on your horse, you have a better understanding of it. And so that's why I think the online stuff is so important to complement the time that you spend in the saddle. Not to mention that you only have so much time riding, right? Like you can only ride your horse for. Well, I mean, you would learn faster if you yeah. could ride ten horses a day, but you can't ride your one horse like he's ten horses. You say that all the time, and I think it's so funny. Um, that was actually Dennis Callen who said that. Yeah, I, I, I quote a lot of people. Let's roll that back real quick because there's a good, very good question because it came up a oh, few months a good ago. Question. That one. Dear Facebook user, yay, I never get to attend online. Question about small loop serpentine. Is changing my diagonal okay? Yes. And why would or why wouldn't I? So um, that was like a hot topic for us a couple of months ago, and everybody yes. had different opinions. And so why would you is to show the judge that you know that there's a change of diagonal. And bend. And a change of bend. So you change the diagonal, show that you know that there's a change of bend. Why wouldn't you? Because if you change your posting diagonal and you interrupt the rhythm, that's a that's a demerit. So there's why you would and there's why you wouldn't. So you let your conscience be your guide. So anyway, uh, we didn't want that question to go by unanswered. 
But yeah, so I'm reading through the comments. It looks like most of you ride maybe one lesson a week or one to two lessons. Not a lot of training. Uh, oh, Barbara has five. Barbara and Lori ride five days a week. With All right, so trainer. there's one or two people out of dozens. Um, oh, someone says, as a judge, I would prefer they don't change the posting diagonal. That's interesting. And does it go on to explain why? No. But um, I think that I think the reason not to change your posting diagonal is the, is the rhythm or like the balance because it's not that much in a shallow loop serpentine. It you would only be changing your posting diagonal for basically ten meters and then changing it back. So that would be just a lot in a short period of time. But anyways, the point being, if you only ride once a week with a trainer, or if you ride every day with your trainer. You should still take the time out of the saddle to watch video of yourself riding, watch my awesome online YouTube videos, read a book. I always am reading books about riding. Watch other top riders because it really makes the most out of the limited time that you have in the saddle. Okay, let's get on to our questions for tonight. First question is from Cindy. In a video, you said you like to do canter work and then trot work. I find this useful too, but how do you warm up first? Good question. Um, in a general way, I trot around until I think everything is hunky-dory and safe and then go to the canter. Yes, but I also do a lot of walk and I think that that depends on the horse, but certainly with an older horse, the more walking, the better. If you can walk for 10, 15 minutes, that is really important to give your horse that time to just like get everything moving. And it and it depends a little bit on the horse. Loose rein versus some horses I take up contact. Um, some horses like Luigi, he can be a little slow to start. So first I just let him walk on a loose rein. I, then I take up contact and ask him to stretch down. Then I go to lateral work, like leg yields, walk, halt, walk, and rein back. Then I do what he said. So a little trot. Yeah, well, like with the mare, all I do, head of the wall, leg yield, turn on the forehand, back and forth. And that was like with some medium feel there. And it's just recently I can go on a long rein the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So. But I, it a little bit depends on the horse. I would say most horses, the motion of the canner helps them to loosen up more because it's like more of a wave. But there are some horses like Kensington, for example, he warms up better in the trot because I can, I can get him more engaged and like organized in the trot. His canner's so big. So most of my horses, I warm up in the canner. Kensington, I warm up more in the trot. Okay, this is another good question from Terry. What is the purpose of the 10-meter canner circle down into a walk at the end of the 10-meter circle? What was the question? So, you know, when you're practicing your canner walk transitions and you use a 10-meter circle to set up and then you walk at the end of the 10-meter circle. Yeah. So well, what's the purpose of that? The 10-meter circle helps the collection gets the inside hind leg under carrying weight. So then you, and the bend is there. So it's just, it's an easier way to set the horse up to understand that we're going to go to the walk. And if you have like a real wall, like if you're in an indoor arena, 
what you can do is you can kind of do the 10 meter circle and then almost like at the end straighten it and go into the, into the wall into the rail yeah like you don't want to run your horse into the wall but you want the wall to help your the influence hole. of the half hole so that is a really good exercise to work on your canter to walk transitions okay Evergreen, I'm having a challenge doing the bending groundwork where you have the reins and are walking with a horse. I can't seem to get my mare to stay forward and not stop or come into me. Okay, so groundwork, a couple of things is forward is always first. And I think if you haven't, like, if you're if you haven't been aware of how your horse interacts with you on the ground, they've probably been walking on top of you and disrespecting you. <laughs> you're laughing. It's funny. You experience I made him do some groundwork the other day. With uh with Jamie's horse? Yeah. 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 So that'll be on the video as I did it poorly. It'll but be... <laughs> the point of groundwork is that you want your horse to move away from you. So that's how horses interact in a herd together, right? Like the dominant horse pins their ears and the other horse moves away. So you're asserting your dominance over the horse by telling them, move away, go over there, back up, Or you're stop. asserting your submissiveness and that's really not good for you. Right. And that's what happens a lot is people don't realize it, but the horse steps towards them, they back away. The horse steps towards them, they back away. So it's a matter of changing that behavior and saying, okay, I've, I'm taking a course and Amelia says groundwork is important. So when I step towards you, you have to move out of my space. And at first your horse is going to be like, well, that's not how we play this game. We've so, been doing it this other way for so long. How dare you? Yeah. So you have to then like, you know, make yourself bigger, you get a little dressage whip and say, hey, get out of my space. And the second they move away from you, reward them. It's just a matter of changing that behavior. But go back, watch the videos. There's also a PDF that I linked in the chat. I did a, there's a new free PDF to help you with your ground manners. So definitely download that because every moment that you spend with your horse, you're teaching them something, whether you're good or for real. Yeah. And so it's really important that you become aware of that all the time because people miss these little signals that their horse isn't paying attention. And then they wonder like, why did my horse trample me? Why won't, won't my horse go in the horse trailer? And it's because of all these little things that build up over time. Okay. Let's see. Next question. Um, can you explain the difference in leg aids or leg position for direction when you are moving the horse right or left towards the rail versus bending the horse when you want them to bend around um, the inside leg? Okay, so I guess she's asking what's the difference in a leg yield? Like when you're trying to push your horse to the rail versus when you're bending your horse on a circle line. So you looked puzzled. Oh, trying to trying to feel remember what that feels like and then put it into words. I'm like looking inside my head for the feeling of that. So go ahead. I answer first. So I think that 
what's important whenever you're riding your horse is that you imagine that your horse stays between both legs. So wherever you're looking, right? Because we're all looking up where we're riding. Yes, we all are. <laughs> he was yelling at me when he was teaching me yesterday about, well, that looks good, but it would be better if you looked up. So number one, look up. Number two, so you're looking where you're going and then your legs are creating this like tunnel or um, one of the, Nicole, one of the girls that's helping me monitor the 30 days round Facebook group, she's a trainer and she has like a great way of explaining things. She said, imagine that your legs are like the bank of a river and you're there defining where you're looking and where you want your horse to go. So if your horse starts to fall out, they're going to run into that outside bank. If your horse starts to fall in, they're going to run into the inside bank. But as long as your horse is going along the river path, you're kind of leaving them alone. So if your horse is falling in and you need to leg yield them out, then your inside leg is the active leg and your outside leg is passive. When you're bending your horse because you want your horse to curve, you have your inside leg at the girth and your outside leg behind the girth, but they're not active unless your horse falls in or out. Right, because it's it's the two legs for the forward and you get one leg for the direction. So like if you're riding for shoulder in, right, and you're trying to get that bend around the inside leg, you, you're driving into that contact. If you're going sideways, that one leg is pushing and the other one has to allow it to go sideways. Yeah, but you don't want to be clamped on with your legs all the time because I say that over and over again, inside leg at the girth, outside leg behind the girth, but they're just there in guarding position. So yes, Nicole, we loved your analogy, but it's like the banks of the river, right? Like they don't, they don't push on the water unless the water starts going where it shouldn't be. Right. Then it runs into the bank. Because if you're always clamped with your inside leg at the girth and your outside leg behind the girth, then your horse is just going to ignore it because it's there all the time. So I think that's important to think about. Okay, Renee has a question. In first level test one, you have to lengthen and change rein across the diagonal from H to P. When do I change my diagonal? Before I change rein or at P? Uh, when I'm doing lengthenings, I change the diagonal at the end of the lengthening, not in the middle of it. If I'm going to scroll across the diagonal in the same trot, then I'll change over the center line. But if with a lengthening, I change at the end of it. So you change at P. Yes. Because you don't want to disrupt the lengthening. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what I would do too. Okay. Um, next question. Do you need to add leg during a downward transition within the gate to keep the hind end engaged? Or is that a conflicting aid? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, you, you don't want to make a blanket statement that says every time you ride a downward transition, put your leg on because some horses are hotter than others. Some are naturally going to go. So that one, you wouldn't have to push. Um, and it's really a tricky timing thing. When I feel that the horse is making that downward transition and it's going to go trot regardless at this point, because I said trot, but then I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to like the trot when I get there in that point two of a second, I'll put my leg on and push it. 
but I already felt that the trot was going to happen. On other horses where I'm coming out of the canner and it feels like it's going to be extended trot all by itself, I'll just sit. Okay, her question is specific for a downward transition within the gate. So let's say if you're like coming back from your lengthening trot or you're collecting after your medium canter. Oh, yeah, then I'm putting leg on. But I also think like to Herman's point, a lot of times what I do is I put my horse in a little shoulder in to bring them back because that allows you to put your inside leg, but also close them up, close them up and engage them and keep the activity. But again, it depends on the horse. Like Herman said, if it's a super lazy horse that when you're bringing them back, you think they're just going to break. Then you have to do more. If it's a really hot horse, then that's when then I'm thinking is. shoulder in. More. Yeah. And then you let that horse just collect on its own. You don't really have to push and create energy. It's coming. Oh, here's a good question from Sarah. This is her second question. How often should I be suppling my horse during my ride? Should I preemptively supple or wait for an issue to arise and then fix it? That is a good question. In the beginning, um, I'm doing it as I feel the issue. At some point, because I, I, I learned my horse and I know, then it's more like preemptive because I feel my horse thinking that it's going to do it. <laughs> and so I'm in there going, hey, hey, hey I know you're going to do it now. But when I first start out, it's a little bit more, ah, damn, I'm late. I'm slow. Yeah. But then I, because like I'll start to feel where they're tightening and when they start to look away and it looks like it's preemptive, but I know that they're going to do it. Yeah. So at first it's more, I wait for an issue and then deal. But then. It, yeah. But I think most of the riders that we see, I would say they're not proactive about it enough. And I see this all the time. It's like your horse goes round and you know, three or four steps later, they're going to put their head up. So do something about it on stride two to remind them, because if you forget and their heads up and then you have to start over again, then you have to start over again. So it's always better to be. Right, it's easier to keep them around than get them around. But yeah. And same thing in the stretch. That's where I see it a lot is like if you're giving the reins and you want your horse to stretch, you have to remember to supple and check in with them. You can't just like throw the reins away and expect them to stay there. Um, so well, you got to keep them interested in a bit when they do the stretchy circle. Yeah. So I do think it's the best riders are fixing problems before they happen. Like the top riders, why it looks like they're not doing anything is because their timing is so good and their aids are so effective. It's not actually that they're not doing anything. They just fix it. And the aid has to be this big because they get it before the problem's this big. Yeah. Because if you wait till the problem's this big, then your aid is that big. But that's uh, that's the learning curve. Um, Carrie, do you have a list of the books you read or are reading? You often mention them in lives. Um, so I don't know. This is the one, this is my favorite book recently. The Way to Perfect Horsemanship by Udo Berger. I read a really good quote out of there for you, you all, you 30 days to round people. Um, but yes, we, there's lots of great books. We're always reading good books. I don't know. Are you reading any horse books right now? Um, uh, James, what's his? Uh, <laughs> we'll have to get back to. Wait. Oh, he's leaving. 
Okay, I'm moving on to the next question. Um, Story says, I've been working on the snowman exercise. It's really fun, but my horse anticipates, then rushes through the rain, change at X, then throws his head up and runs outside the circle. It's better when we walk and trot the exercise. So we pretty much got that down. So if your horse starts anticipating the uh, snowman, what I would recommend doing is just stay in the trot, like just do the snowman pattern only in the trot. And then when they're relaxed, then canter. One thing you can always do with snowman is modify it. So what I'll do sometimes is I'll like canter for two or three circles until my horse relaxes and then trot, maybe trot for two or three circles until you get the bend right, then go back to the canter. So once you kind of know the snowman pattern, absolutely modify it and change it up because at the beginning, you kind of want your horse to start like anticipating what's happening, but then if they take over, you have to change it up. So that's where experience and just everything happens. So what's the book you're reading? Uh, James Phyllis. He was a Frenchman. He trained for the Russian cavalry in 1903. And that's a book that has a lot of great diagrams, right? Or no? No. No. Okay. The diagram is um, the French book, Gunier. Yeah. But there's a lot of really great books. We should do like a book club or something. But honestly, when I'm creating a course or when I'm out of video ideas, I go to these books because there's so much incredible knowledge and explanation and I think like the modern day book is the videos that I make, right? Right. But but it's all based on what these masters have done. Yeah. You know. And, yeah. You know, back in the day, there wasn't TV. These guys, these guys were just riding horses, and, and then you had to get to town, and you went on horseback, and the horses had to be okay in cities, and they carried people from place to place up until like 1920, and cars didn't replace uh horses until after world war ii okay here's a good question from richard i've been struggling to get my horse to canter through a turn so i went back to doing lots of transitions down the long side he's becoming a lot more relaxed but am i just avoiding the problem you have a young horse that's kind of like this so like it's like you canter down the long side but then the second you turn they want to break to the trot or you can't turn Yes. So um, I turn early and I don't use the rail. Yeah. And you have to really turn a bit more gradually and keep them forward. I think that's the biggest thing is you have to keep you that. Gotta count. You yeah. got to count. You got to count. What's that say about the uh, what's, mm, rhythm? Rhythm. The so base of count, the training you count, scale. You count. You count. And you feel the horse starting to want to get behind and go, wow, I got to work really hard to make a turn. It's easier if I slow down. And so I make the turn more like it's the big arc in, and the horse has to figure out how to balance itself, make the turn and go. And then as you feel them get stronger and better balance and you can make a smaller type of turn. Okay. One more question from Ahmed. My horse refuses to do a flying change. How can I convince him? I have a I have a flying change webinar. I'll put it in the chat for you to watch. How do you teach a horse to do a flying change if they won't do a flying change? Can I walk? Can I walk? Can I walk? Counter canner to walk. Right? 
and then counter canner around the short side to change. But canner walk, canner walk, canner walk. Because a flying change is basically a walk canner transition. So, and the walk canner transitions gets your horse active and in, and in collected, which is what you need to do a flying change. And so, so here's the thing. So if you go canner walk and he's trotting, or if you go walk canner and he's trotting, you don't have it. Yeah. You've got to get to the walk. If with no trot steps. The horse must walk and then go to canter. With no trot steps. And without flinging its head in the sky and all of this. Yeah. And what that does is it really tunes your horse to the aid because in a flying change, your horse has to hear the aid, hear your leg switch, and they have to respond in a millisecond within that stride. They have to jump in right. the air in the, and switch all in four the legs. moment of the suspension. Yeah. All those legs have to switch in the moment of suspension. Yeah. And so if there's any delay in the communication between the rider and the horse, you're late. The flying change doesn't happen. And that's why I think flying changes are one of the most difficult things. It was the hardest thing for to me to teach learn. your horse. Because there isn't, okay, I need more angle. And it all has to be right. It has to be yeah. right right now. It either happens or it doesn't. There's not like a, you know, like He's, a leg yield. You're like, oh, that was a crappy leg yield. I'll push <laughs> more, a little outside rain. And then you save the second half of it. There's none of that. It's right yeah. or it's wrong. There's no, there's yeah. no gray with that. So anyways, I put the chat in there. There's a great... Um, webinar to watch on flying changes that I did earlier this year that's just really breaks it down like step by step what you need to do. So anyways, we have many things to get to tonight, but thank you all for being here. And once again, thank you for being a part of my mission, Dressage for All. Please share my videos, share my emails with all of your friends. If you're a trainer, if you share it with your students, I really appreciate all of your help and I couldn't do it without you. And without you too. Yes, <laughs> Thank you guys. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for all of your awesome questions. And I hope you learned something new from listening. If you're new to the podcast and you'd like a question answered on a future one, get on touch on Facebook through Amelia's Dressage Club, Instagram at Amelia Newcomb Dressage, or YouTube at Amelia Newcomb Dressage and mark the question for the live sessions. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please share it, review it, and tune in again next week. Thanks so much and happy riding.